Hello and welcome to the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. As always, I'm Steve Smith, your host. Australia is in a whole world of COVID hurt in a lockdown and maybe this is your golf release. This is episode number 22. A quick little intro, ladies and gentlemen, to episode number 22 where... Look, we're going to make a quick overview of some weather conditions that's going on for your golfing spring ahead here in Australia. A little bit of an update there as to what's happening with some interesting outlook ahead. Also, it's that springtime of the year, so there's a few renovations going on. Uh, we'll do a wrap-up of some other states and uh, around the country that are doing a bit of work in uh, on some golf courses there. And uh, there's a bit of interesting stuff going on around the place, which is good to see. And the Greenkeeper's Shed makes a little return with... Uh, we're going to talk about hole positions on a green and player knowledge before you go out on in competition to uh, to play golf and things like whole location maps. So that's what's happening on today's episode of the podcast. Let's get stuck into walking the fairways. Welcome one, welcome all to Walking the Fairways. It's a beautiful time to be out there enjoying the space that is around us on a golf course. So metaphorically speaking, Let's just see what's going on as we browse the fairways across Australia. And look, we'll start off with a weather report, like I mentioned, with the growing season ahead. Now, there is a high chance the Bureau of Meteorology tell me personally, or maybe not me personally, but anyway, they tell us that um, there is a very high chance of La Nina redeveloping around October, November this year uh, as we move into the mid to the latter... Well, Sorry, the mid to latter parts of spring. Of course, that's what it is in October, November, the second and third month of the season of spring here in Australia. Now, that means that we're going to, uh, they're forecasting a higher than average rainfall total or their amounts for the east coast of Australia. And uh, look, that's, if you're a greenkeeper in spring and you don't have a high amount of water infrastructure and water supply at your disposal, this is a really good thing for the season ahead. So I'm talking some regional golf courses, some golf courses that have never really uh, had the money. They're not high-profile clubs that have big memberships, but they're, they're probably more local-based public access courses that, um, that do deal a little bit more with the, with the local weather, as it were. They're the sorts of courses that are really going to thrive if this comes through. We know in seasons gone by, certainly in the last year and a half or two years, that we've had uh, we've had some floods come around with with uh, a La Nina event style um, that 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 happens in the weather systems in Australia. Here last year was certainly that, and we had lots of floods and lots of heavy rainfall. We hope that that doesn't happen to that extent, of course. But as a greenkeeper, and and certainly greenkeepers across the east coast, we'll be looking for um, some good rains to really get the the course regrowing, and and that means a good season with uh, better growing conditions, and and certainly a little bit more of a better quality out there for people to play on, a little bit a little bit more grass to play on as well, which is another positive thing coming into that season. So look, this has come from about what they're saying is ninety five percent of the international weather models at the moment are agreeing with this forecast trend. So that's why they're saying it's a high chance of it happening. And we look forward to, like I said, seeing that come through if that's the case. And look, we could be in for some more 
more good growing conditions in those regional courses, which is what I talk about. So, um, you know, really positive stuff happening and uh, looking ahead, and I'm sure all the greenkeepers out there and your clubs, the clubs out there that, uh, like I said, that don't have that infrastructure, they will certainly be watching the skies and looking at the forecast to see if they can time their spring renovations and spring fertiliser programs, get them out there and use Mother Nature to their advantage. So looking forward to that side of it. And speaking of renovations... It's that time of the year which, you know, we've had a little bit of a, a, a warmer time to the back end of winter, to be honest, because we've had a lot more cloud cover this season, uh, a lot more rainfall through the through the middle of winter on the East Coast, certainly, and it's um, had high, higher than average temperatures. So I know some of the courses out there have already got stuck into their renovations uh, for spring, and they're really um, looking to get those things completed, get the renovations completed and get out there. So if your course is having it, or if you're at a golf course, you know that's um, doing some renovations, uh, look, be patient, bear with them. You know that how good the results are going to be at the back end of all of this. So positive times ahead and, and really look forward to everyone coming out and playing golf. And I say that loosely because hopefully we're allowed out of our homes to play golf after lockdown. Most of anyone who's listening probably knows you are in lockdown or have been in lockdown or are thinking about coming out or going in. Who knows what's... Look, honestly, if you wake up, everyone... We don't know what's going on. We're just following the news and seeing what's happening. So we're all looking forward to spring, I think, and, and being uh, released from whatever the COVID rules are of where we are. And let's just get out there and play golf, hey? I'm I just really looking forward to it. So I think uh, with these few things happening, weather conditions ahead, forecast, renovations being completed now or certainly soon to be so, it's uh, going to put us in good stead for spring and get everyone excited about getting out there and playing golf again. And you know what? If you haven't, if your course or somewhere that you're looking to play hasn't done renos yet, just if you want to play golf and you're thinking about when you can go and get out there in September, some courses might not be uh, doing renovations. Like I know places like the Blue Mountains, maybe even the Southern Highlands may not quite be far enough along yet and coming out of winter that they can do their renovations with with a good deal of sort of, you know, um, consistency that they got past those real cold nights. So make a phone call. Just see. Call ahead. These places, all golf courses have planned as to when their renovations are, are happening. So if you're unsure and you really want to, you know, plan ahead for, for having your games and, and getting out there and, and enjoying some golf in springtime, why not do the, do the positive thing Call your club ahead of time and say, when are your renovations? Because I don't want, I, you know, I want to try and work out my golf schedule around that. Don't wait till the last minute and say, oh, you know, um, I booked in for this date. No, oh, you didn't tell me renos are on. Just ring them and find out. That's the easiest way to do it. If they're not actively telling you, which I do say to every club and every greenkeeper out there, try to do your best to get the communication out to players and golfers and members alike that you're doing renovations and what days it's on and roughly how long you think it's going to be before the greens have recovered. Usually anywhere from two to four weeks, depending on the level of renovations that they're doing. But if you're a player and you're planning on it, call ahead and ask the question. There is no harm in asking. In fact, you'll do yourself a massive service and a big favor by asking the question. So I urge you, call ahead and find out when renos are on. But I know some places are taking the opportunity to, uh, with lockdowns and no players and, and limited players to do renovations maybe a little bit earlier than they would have had in mind, which is a positive thing as well. That's what's going on there. So um, look, good times ahead, guys. And we, as we traverse our fairways today in this episode... We're going to go straight to Victoria. Let's head to the southwest of Melbourne on the Great Ocean Road 
On your way to Cape Otway, if you're not really sure where that is, to a nine-hole golf course at Apollo Bay, Apollo Bay Golf Club, no less. Now, McMahon's a construction company. Now, they've been engaged by the club to realign their ninth hole with basically a full hole redesign, which is including new tees, new, tees, new green, green surrounds and bunkers. Now, it's obviously, like I said, it's a nine-hole course. It's their closing hole. So I assume there's probably a little bit of a safety solution involved in this, along with maybe specking up uh, their finishing hole. So that's sort of probably a couple of things that they're trying to tie in together with their ninth hole at the moment. I don't know the golf course, but I have looked at it on a map, which I do love to do if you don't know already. And uh, the location looks incredible. But look... Apollo is down on the Great Ocean Road. It's an incredible place, and I'd love to say to visit right now, but we know that that's going to be difficult at the best of times. If you're in Victoria and you know the course, look, you know, with these uh, lockdowns and, and limited play happening, these things will probably be finished very soon, but McMahon's will get right stuck into it, and uh, really good to see a smaller regional course doing uh, a little bit of construction work and, and improving their golf course in any way that they can. So, look, Apollo Bay is one to keep on your uh, on your list. And I'd probably, if it's me, I'd be thinking of somewhere around, give it a bit of time to grow in once they're finished. But honestly, off the top of my head, I'm going to be saying October, November, uh, before this has started to get in enough that it's probably going to be open. I'll try and keep you up to speed on it. But there you go, Apollo Bay, and McMahon's doing a little bit of work down there in Victoria. Now, we stay in Victoria to Coringle Golf Club in Altona. Now, that's about 30 minutes' drive southwest of Melbourne, just around Port Phillip Bay. And they've just announced that Crafter and Mogford of Golf Strategies are their new consulting architects, and they'll be a part of the club and the course moving forward. So, look, with this announcement that's come out, expect to see some improvements over the coming years at Coringal. And, uh, you know, it's another course I'm, I'm not too familiar with down that southwest side. Um, but looking at it, looking into it a little bit, doing a little bit of research, it's um, it's a it's a quality golf course, got a good bit of history, and uh, look, Crafter Mogford, these guys do some fantastic work around the place on plenty of golf courses. So, like I said, keep an eye out for Coringal. They have been doing a little bit of work around there, just the same in uh, in some recent months. But um, Crafter Mogford, let's see what's ahead for Coringal and and if they do any major announcements with some course improvements over the coming years. Now we head east around Port Phillip Bay this time from Melbourne to the Mornington Peninsula, down to Mornington Golf Club itself, where Ben Davey and Ben Davey, I should say, from Contour Golf, being assisted by Darius Oliver in this one, is uh, they're right into the work on the golf course there and they're rebuilding, redesigning the sixth hole at Mornington. Now, I know a couple of people that are from the Mornington Golf Club there that uh, do enjoy a game of golf down that way. It's got a good name, Mornington certainly, and uh, it looks like a fantastic golf course, one I'd, I'd love to get down there and play myself. Now, the sixth is a mid-length par four, which now has full sweeping views of Port Phillip Bay thanks to some some very selective tree removal on the approach to the green. It looks fantastic. And this green's going to become like an infinity green as you play the hole. So there's some real cool stuff happening with the levels and things on the fairways of this one. And expect to see some, you know, a fantastic product come out of it. Now, the redesigned hole is going to be bunkerless. That's an interesting note. 
Um, I always like to see and hear when, when architects do this type of thing. So a bunkerless hole is how the six will finish up. So expect some interesting groundwork to be incorporated into the design of the hole to add some character and challenge in there for you as a player. So that's something that we'll be interested to watch and see how that unfolds with Ben and, and Darius and what they're trying to achieve down there, um, making it a bunkerless hole. And like I said, it's up high on the plateau um, and the green's just sort of... put. You know, it's going to finish off where the where the earth just drops away. Like I said, the and and the green itself, they're pushing it slightly further back, which will obviously lengthen the hole a little bit, and it's just going to bring out this view. It's going to be fantastic. So keep an eye on this one. As uh, as I mentioned, Mornington's a well-regarded golf course, and and the new work will no doubt be well received. I've got absolutely no doubt. And incidentally, I met Ben Davy when I was at the ASTMA. ASTMA conference up at the Gold Coast there a couple of months ago and he's a great guy and he's done some fantastic work around the country and um, look I'll put it out there now if you're listening I'm going to see if I can get Ben on the uh, on the podcast and have a bit of a chat I've spoken to Harley Cruz as you well know you probably know of Harley well enough uh, I've had a few chats with him now on the podcast and uh, look let's see if I can get Ben on here from Contour Golf we'll see how that goes uh, we'll lock that one in as, as a uh, on the wish list let's say so look Mornington and the sixth hole um, I'm going to try and put some stuff out there on Instagram for you to see if you can, uh, just to show you some of the stuff that they're getting up to down there at Mornington. It looks sensational. And the last course we're going to look at today in Victoria is Yearing Meadows Golf Club. Now it's a 27-hole Ross Watson design facility and the northeast outside Metro Melbourne up in the Yarra Valley there, a beautiful part of the countryside it is. Plenty of good golf courses up that way, absolutely. And if you're a Melbourne person... Melbourneian? Let's probably go with Melbourneian. Sounds a bit better than a Melbourne person. If you're a Melbourneian, I'm sure you've visited that place on numerous occasions and played plenty of the golf courses that are there for your tasting. Now, they've been busy during the winter months, like a lot of golf courses have, as I've mentioned, and they've been rebuilding some of their bunkers, including the greenside bunkers on the 8th and the 18th, using a new bunker liner and new bunker sand. Now, that puts them in good stead for the future with these works at Euring Meadows. And uh, look, it's, it's a golf course that it's not very old, but as I keep saying, and you've probably heard me talk about plenty of times, that golf courses are moving targets. And, and if this course, when it was built, didn't have any of those uh, products put into their bunkers, um, now is the time to do it as they look at improvements to the course that they can make over time. So there's one. If you're a Yearing Meadows regular, you'll have seen some of the bunkers. And if you're thinking about going there, like I keep saying, when we're allowed out to play golf, if you're thinking about going down there, they're improving their bunkers on course. So a very good thing happening at Yearing Meadows. And there's a little bit of a wrap for Victoria. Now we head on up to Queensland, guys. And I forgot to previously mention that uh, the golf course known as Victoria Park in Brisbane officially closed down for good at the turn of the financial year a month and a half ago on June 30. Now it's going to make way for a huge investment from the Brisbane City Council. And, and that what they want to do is they want to convert it with large amounts of cash, no doubt, into a large, very large, integrated multi-use parkland space. And they will retain some golf 
on the site, such as a driving range and a mini golf facility. Um, but that's about all for the extent of golf happening there at the old Victoria Park golf course. And we can say the old Victoria Park because sadly it's officially gone. I don't know the course, never played the course, but uh, it was a stalwart similar to Moore Park Golf Course in Sydney and Albert Park Golf Course in Melbourne, whereby Victoria Park was for the public. It was easy access for the public and the inner city people to uh, to get around there and play golf and have access to a golf facility and a 18-hole golf course. So sad to see the end of that. But what it makes way for, public golf is not all lost in Brisbane because they uh, the Brisbane City Council will move to a new, move their basically their public access course to a whole new golf course uh, that they're building at Cannon Hill, which will be called Minipi or Minipi. Still not sure which way to pronounce that. Minipi Golf Links. And uh, that was the course that I got to visit that's currently under construction by, again, McMahon's construction company, the large golf construction company. Um, I visited back there in June as part of the ASTMA conference where I got to see it. Now, it's on a floodplain, 18-hole golf course, open to the public, and it is a bunkerless golf course that they're building there. But, look, it's it's all about giving them... It's a little bit further outside than where Victoria Park used to be. It's a little bit further south of the city itself, but... That's what it's there for. Uh, there's a new residential development going on around it as well. And uh, basically that is now the council-based or the council-backed 18-hole public access golf course. So a brand new golf course that will be available. Probably my guess, I'm going to say late next year, the way it's going, COVID, construction, all those sorts of things have slowed down a touch. Um, and weather's been pretty good. But generally speaking, these things need time to grow in. They've got all sorts of forecast timeframes and all that sort of stuff for opening dates. And I'm just going to throw it out there and say it. It's not going to happen by when they're saying, by when the politicians and the councillors are saying. It's just not going to happen that way, people. You've got to give them a little bit of time. It's green space. It's a living organism. Plenty of living, breathing components to a golf course. And I'm guessing end of next year. That's my guess. So I'm throwing it out there, but that's what's happening. So Victoria Park did close down officially, and it is no longer part of the Australian golfing landscape. Now we head north to Mullaney Golf Club on the Sunshine Coast north of Brizzy. Now they have got a new putting green installed ready for the warmer playing season ahead. They've used a a grass, a cooch grass, tiff dwarf cooch on the surface there and it seems to be growing in very well by all accounts. So if you're a Mullaney regular, look forward and if you haven't been there through winter, you're not a winter player, you're looking forward to spring and summer when things are a little bit warmer, they're going to have a new putting green that should be up and running for you before too long. So a positive thing happening at Mullaney up there, and there's always it's always great to see these little things going on at golf courses and always improving, and the practice putting surface is very important. You may not think of it, but trust me, if you stop for a minute and think about it, what's the first thing you do when you turn up after you pay your green fees or you pay your comp fees? You walk out and have a putt, don't you? So that's, uh, that's there to go, and we'll be ready and rocking and rolling very soon. Now we go to Oxley Golf Club, which is about 30 minutes southwest of Brisbane CBD. And they are in the early stages of installing, wait for it, wait for it, their brand new mini golf course. Yes, it's another golf course that's opted to put in a new component of their facility being a mini golf or a putt-putt golf course. And uh, look, <laughs> this one's done by a, a, a business company called Top Stroke. Uh, so it's different to the Shanks one, different to a couple of other ones out there that are that are dropping them in. But look, 
it's a it's a welcome addition. These these golf courses that are looking for an investment into their future, into their future members, into their future players. If it's public as well, getting juniors involved, families involved, um, you know, even kids, even little kids involved. You know, we're talking five years old, just and they could stand there and swing a putter. Um, really, really good move in my opinion, and it's great to see another one doing it. So Oxley are getting it done. So, uh, like I mentioned, there's a few companies out there now installing mini golf, and I've got no doubt more and more clubs are looking for it at, from an economical point of view, um, installing them on their land. So, look, I'll keep announcing them as I see them, and uh, I see more and more and hear about more and more all the time. And Oxley is another one to add to the list, guys. We head to South Australia. Now, from one wine-growing region from the Yarra Valley that I mentioned earlier in Victoria to another famous one in the Barossa Valley in South Australia, we go into a course called, a course called oh, geez, I'm getting too excited, a course called Tanunda Pines. Now, they've closed their driving range that's attached to the Tanunda Pines golf course uh, whilst they are building themselves an awesome and I say awesome coming from a superintendent's point of view and a greenkeeper's point of view. An awesome 30-megalitre irrigation dam. Yes, this is going to be a huge upgrade for Tanunda. I kid you not. Water is a big deal when it comes to golf courses, guys. And, you know, whether we whether we like it, whether we're not sure about it, whether we think that it's it, water could be used better elsewhere, you, you honestly... You don't have a golf course without a solid water supply. So Tanunda have uh, are doing it. They're getting on with the job. So the Barossa has its moments with dry weather, and look, it's kind of what also works for their wine region in a way. You know, that drier time from you know in that area, it's um, wine. That's that's part of their flavors. Sometimes those hot, dry summers aren't quite helpful on a golf course, though. And Tanunda have worked at getting this dam across the line, which will allow the course to smooth out those humps and hollows of dealing with difficult dry spells maintaining a golf course. And that's just that's what happens. You've got to have a good water supply just to smooth that out a little bit. And it, you know, takes the uh, puts your mind at ease. Let me tell you, as a superintendent. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean they'll be throwing water all over the place. But it means their minds, like I said, will be more at ease to protect their product during difficult times. So it's about using water smartly. It's about using water wisely. But what this gives them is it gives them greater security for a water supply, especially with prolonged dry spells. And after all, South Australia is the driest state in the country of Australia. So uh, look, a positive move for Tanunda, and I really was really impressed when I saw about that and heard about that too. So look, if you know it, you visit it. Um, if you're up the Barossa, go and have a look at it, Tanunda. And uh, look, it's only going to get better by the sounds of it. Now we go to Glenelg Golf Club in Adelaide, and they've completed some irrigation installation on their new 8th tee. And they've planted out the carry to the fairway as well on that hole. And another project they've been up to is completing the work on their 19th hole. So there's been a little bit going on at Glenelg, a little bit under the radar. I've tried to mention a few things, but they've got a, you know, there's some things going on there. It's always helpful. Like I mentioned, they've just, just finished their 19th hole, and it's always helpful to have a 19th hole. And Glenelg have got themselves a good one by the looks from what I've seen. So uh, that's probably something that I'm going to throw up on, on social media to give you an idea of what it looks like. But not every course can have a 19th hole. It's great to see, though, if you can get it done and you can get it done smartly and wisely within the confines of your space and boundaries, 
it is a very helpful thing to have on your golf course. So uh, a little bit of work happening in Glenelg uh, there in Adelaide. So good things happening out of South Australia. Really good to see. Now we finish off walking the fairways with the environmental sustainable golf component that I like to kick in here. Now we head back to Karingal, like I mentioned at Altona there in Melbourne. And they've been working with Kate Torgerson from Environmental Golf Solutions, and they've recently completed the installation of some 10,000 local endemic plants of the Altona area, and they've put them into the golf course. This is a big move, guys. This is a positive move for the club. They've identified some areas of the course that they decided, you know, had no reason to be maintained turf as part of the play. And they've used an army of volunteers to assist in getting all these plants installed. And I've got to say, there are plenty of golf courses out there. And the ones that I worked on in my golfing greenkeeping career, in my greenkeeping career, I should say, um, there's always areas that don't need to be maintained turf. It's an old misnomer from years gone by where everything needed to be grass and cut at rough height. And we just cut from fence to fence. Anywhere that's... We'll cut all the way to the boundaries. That's That doesn't work. It's not how it should be. There's no reason for it to be. It's a waste of resources, money, and effort and energy in looking after some of these places. So these areas, I should say, on the golf course. So look, Karingal have come up with these improvements, and it's great to see. So working with Kate Torgerson, like I said, um, they've put in these 10,000 plants, and just wait. These areas that they've done are going to really become these great little parts and corners of the golf course that are going to harbour more flora and fauna, I should say. As the flora grows, you'll see more wildlife living in that area and those locations. They'll create little micro, little miniature ecosystems around the golf course. And overall, the golf course will become a better ecosystem for it. So good things happening at Coringal in uh, in Melbourne, in Victoria. And what I'm going to mention is Tallwoods. Now, you know, I visited Tallwoods there a few months ago up on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Now, they have just sort of finished up installing their first new nest boxes for local wildlife in the area as part of their wildlife sanctuary initiative that they've taken on. And look, I've just got to congratulate Tallwoods and any other golf course that, you know, as they do these things, I love to hear about, I love to see it. And well done to Tallwoods for taking up such an initiative. Now, these are really good things. It might not sound like a lot to you guys out there, but these things make a difference in harboring and looking after some of the fauna around the golf courses and really making it a, a, uh, a protected area for them and a way of harboring them and really making the golf course a better local environmental location. So really good things when golf courses are doing this stuff. And I love to see it, love to hear about it, and certainly want to tell you guys a lot more about this sort of stuff. And that's the environmental sustainable golf section of Walking the Fairways, and that is a wrap. Let's get stuck into the Greenkeeper shit. Welcome everyone down to the my humble abode, the Greenkeeper Shed. Now on the Greenkeeper Shed today, I was sparked by an Instagram post. An Instagram post. My tongue's a little bit not working. I was sparked by an Instagram post that I come across recently where it mentioned at a particular course that uh, that they were putting out a new whole location map for the first time for them. For the first time for them, they were putting it out for competition players so they could see where the holes would be located on each green as they were playing their round. Nothing new to some players for sure. 
but not all courses have this in place for their players. And I, you know, we didn't have it where we were. Where I was working at Casimba Golf Club. I know um, the time that I was working at Wentworth Falls, they didn't have it either. I know plenty of courses that don't have it, but there are certainly a number that do. And I suppose you wonder, look, after all, the pros get maps when they play in tournaments. So why not the average player in a local comp, right? It's obviously helpful to know how far on the green the hole is located. It's just a step up, I suppose, these location maps. It's just a step up from the coloured flag theory. You know, the front, middle, back, so like you'll have yellow at the front, white at the middle and blue at the back, or whichever way around it might be. The location maps, just taking it that little bit further. Less effort involved for green keepers with, than the coloured flags. You know, remember the bubble theory? The, the big bubble, the big balls that used to be on the pins where up high on the pin meant that it was at the bag, at the bag, at the back, and down low meant that it was at the front. Less work, I suppose, again, for the green keepers, so that's a good thing, right? Now, I agree with all that from a work perspective, and I've had to do it. It's always helpful to know if the hole is at the back of the green so you can make sure you select the correct club, right? And the whole maps are good to move the flags around the greens all the time. So there's good rotation for wear around the greens too. So that's a good thing, right? It's equal info for all the players. Good communications between the match committee, greens committee, green keepers to know where to place the pins too. So I suppose that's a good thing. It sounds to me like it's a good thing all around, really. So explain this to me. Why do we get hung up? on the theory that there needs to be six hole locations at the front of the greens, six in the middle, and six at the back around the 18 holes. And some take it further to equally have six on the left, six in the middle, and six on the right. Is that so it's a good even spread across the golf course? Why can't there be 12 at the front and six at the back with none in the middle? Why not have all 18 holes at the back? of all the greens. What about all on the left-hand side of the green? Now that sounds a little extreme, I know. What about with hole locations where we worry about six and the, you know, having a, an even split of, of three lots of sixes? We've never really worried about dogleg holes, you know, or the number of par threes, fours and fives. I know there is a course, Ocean Shores has, has six of each, six threes, six fours and six fives, but normally courses don't worry about it. You know, they don't sit there and they go, oh, we've got two dog legs left, so we have to have two dog legs right, and then the others have to be straight. We have to have an equal split between all of our par fours in which way the holes turn. What about splitting how, how many bunkers there are in each holes? Do we have so many holes with no bunkers and so many holes with three bunkers and so many holes with... You know, it just gets a little bit ridiculous. I don't know why committees get hung up on this theory about... You have to have so many holes at the front, so many in the middle, and so many at the back. I think it's absolutely absurd. I think it's ridiculous. That's my opinion. Now, the main argument that I hear is that for the whole location, in terms of depths of the green, six front, six middle, six back, it's so that the course plays to the distance it is measured from where the markers are set up at that particular color plate on the card for the handicap slope rating on that comp. Jeez, talk about making it complicated. Are you guys... Look, let, let me just try and boil it down a little bit. You know, that that's the talk that I've heard. That's some of the arguments I've heard from a couple of different golf clubs that it's all about the measurements so that the slope rating can work for your handicaps and so on and so on and so on. Uh, whatever. 
are you guys really that good at playing to that distance for all of your shots? Are you really that good at it? Now, I play a five, and I know that I'm not. Far from. And I'm only speaking of myself, of course. That said, I know plenty of golfers that aren't that good. Some think they are, but they're actually not. Now, don't get me wrong. It's nice to know that info. It's nice to know where the hole is. Isn't the green a better target for you, honestly, as opposed to the hole itself? Now, I get caught out when I start going for the pin because I'm actually not as good as I think I am. I do it often, and I balls it up regularly. Now, I'm moving into a little bit more of golf psychology here, and for that, you probably want to go over to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast with Jamie Glazier and my mate Roscoe Flanagan. They'll probably be able to give you a little bit more insight into that side of stuff. But I do need to talk about a little bit of it because as greenkeepers, we're setting the course up for you, and you're probably sometimes wondering why it gets set up that way. And sometimes committees are involved. There's no doubt about it. Now, go back to your, to your targets. Hitting the green is my new target. It's slightly bigger than a golf hole, to be honest. That's why it's my new target. And I'm not that good. I keep thinking I am. And sometimes if you're in the zone, you you, you know, you can kind of go for it. But that's the psychology side of golf. And yeah, sure, to get it close is good. But if you can't see the hole itself because the green's above you, then I can promise you it's more often luck that you'll actually hit it close because... Only the best are good enough to know exactly how far they can hit a club every time to a blind target. I promise you. That's why we strive to improve because not every one of not every one of us mere mortals are the best players. The ones that are play in our big events, our local club open tournaments, compete at championships, etc. Not to mention the girls and guys that we watch on TV doing it. They are that good. They are actually are that good. So let's look about it practically. Let's take an old style, rough, circle, round shape type green from an older course, say. And let's say it's about 300 square metres of, of putting surface. That's not too bad for a pretty old green. And I'm talking like something that I'm familiar with up in the Blue Mountains. You know, some of the stuff that I used to play on up there, it's, it's pretty much those sorts of sizes. And, and those courses up there, they've got heaps of them. And they're, that's about the median size that I'm talking about for a lot of the courses up there. Now, at 300 metres squared, it's about 20 metres long down the centre line of the green, okay? Just to give you an idea, from front to back, it's about 20 metres, a 300 square metre putting green. So if the front edge, so try and follow me here, if the front edge is 0 metres, that's your, that's your start point, and the back edge is 20 metres, that means that the halfway mark, the centre of the green, would be at 10 metres, right? Now, let's say you're 150 out from that green on a par 4. Just say you are. You're one, you've got a 150 shot in. At that 150, and sorry, and that 150 metres is measured to the centre. Now, if the hole was located at the front... It's going to be about five metres past the front edge, or thereabouts, which puts it at five metres short of the centre. Like I said, the centre is 10 metres, so it's five metres on. Can you hit a shot 145 metres and not 150 metres? Can you actually do that with confidence? Does it really matter that you know if the hole is at the front or not? 
It's what I'm trying to tell you. We're talking a matter of a few meters. That's the difference for a lot of the courses we play on. Yeah, sure, there's plenty of the newer courses out there with much, much larger greens. But most of you guys out there listening and playing, a lot of your golf greens are not that large. They're not really as, as big as you think they are. So I'm talking a few meters, right? Are you actually that good? Are you? I don't know. Think about it. Maybe you are. Let's take it up a notch. Let's double it. Let's double that green. A large green could be considered to be around 700 square meters. Now, for an older course with old greens, yeah, that that's that's a that's out that's up there. There's not too many of those courses that are you know best part of 80, 90 years old that have many greens that are that have that are original age, original shapes that are around 700. That's huge, right? So if if you use the same principle of a roundish green like one of those old course greens and there's plenty of those that are that means that the green is now 30 meters long down the center line that's the only difference to double the size it's now 30 meters long for a rough roundish type green from the front edge to the back edge now zero meters again at the front 30 meters at the back which now makes it 15 meters from the front edge of the green 15 meters to the middle if the hole is at the front, it would be around, again, 5 metres from the front edge. And your 150 metre shot that's measured to the middle, to that front flag, is now at 140 metres to a frontish hole location. How good are you at hitting your shot exactly 140? I rate myself now. So we're in the 10 metre gaps. This is what I work on my, my club range between my irons is about 10 metres. I rate myself in this. But in the nature of golf and in the mental side of the game, I've got a pretty high chance of not hitting it within five meters of that hole. Again, it's not that big a difference. Your green should be your target. This is what I'm trying to tell you. What I'm saying is, do you need a hole map to tell you the hole is at the front or can you just see it for yourself? Are we creating more work for our golf courses here by making these hole maps? You can see that front flag for yourself. You don't need a map to tell you that it's at the front. You can just see it. And if you can't see the hole on the green, you're not good enough to hit it there anyway because it's a blind target like I talked about before. Just go for the green. With confidence, you can go for the green. You'll be surprised how much better you will play using the green as your target. I promise you, you'll play better golf for it. Now, from a maintenance perspective, these maps can really put you in a pickle. Even without maps, the 666 rule can put you in a pickle. The coloured flags, the three different colours for the three different front middle backs. You see, we as greenkeepers tend to deal with lots of issues on a golf course that you players, general players out there might not even realise. That's why we maintain them. And we're not always able to, to control every bit of pressure that's on the greens. You've seen the results of us not being able to control all the pressure. I can tell you, you've seen the results when it gets the better of us. Heat stress, leaving the odd dry patch or even dead areas in extreme instances. Disease and pest stress that leaves visible damage on the putting surface. Rain, where you can have constant rainfall that can sometimes have pooling in certain areas on the greens. This is just to name a few. Now, these problems can throw a full spanner in your whole location maps, people. If you're any committee members or board members listening to me, or even the 6-6 rule can, the 6-6-6 rule. 
We always want to keep the holes away from these areas, especially when it's hot. And we know which areas go off at the drop of a hat even before that day's golf has even finished. We don't want to put it in certain locations because it's going to stress them out more. If you go by a hole location map or the 666 theory, you're going to get caught out. You're going to make us get caught out by it. We're trying to protect them to get them through stressful times, stressful periods in some situations. So this can shoehorn us into putting somewhere that we don't have a choice. If we go outside that, you know, people will get a little bit disappointed and go, oh, the hole's not where it should have been because I've got the map here. It tells me it should be here. You know, oh, there was, there was five at the front and there was seven in the middle and six at the back. Oh, we can't have that. You know why? Because it's not enough flags. Usually some courses don't have a budget to buy, you know, that many extra colored flags. Sometimes, they, you know, they just have to do it. And committees will put rules in place that's got to be done that way. We always want to try and protect certain areas of the greens before the damage has even been done. There's no leeway with these whole location maps. Now, it's coming from a green keeper, and you're probably going to sit there and go, oh, well, you know, get on with it, stop whinging and carrying on. But I'm telling you, these things can cause little problems along the way, and it it's just not managed. You kind of think, like I said at the very beginning of the green keeper shed, it all sounds like it makes sense and it's going to make life easier but it just doesn't quite convert practically because not every green is the same not every green is is under the same stress conditions they've all got different it's not a repetitive situation every green is not exactly the same so you can't put this across all the greens it doesn't quite work out that way in reality so this is what i'm trying to say good in theory not quite so good in practice now, for an open event or a championship event that is only going to go for a few days or weekends at a time during the year max, easy, easy for us to navigate and deal with afterwards. Go for it. Put the whole location maps out there for your championships. Put it out there for, the, for your open event at your local club. That's a great idea. I reckon that's fantastic. But for every week in competition, get over it. That's absolutely ridiculous, and it actually borders on silly, in my opinion, to think that you guys want it, you know, to be the same things every week. The same, it just—it's impractical. That—that's what I'm trying to say. So when I saw this post on Instagram about a club that was introducing it, it's going to cause headaches, and it's going to cause frustration, and then there will be frustration between committee members between green keepers between staffs and 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 boards and so on like that it's just gonna that's what it's going to create and i think it's it's i'm just trying to to talk to you out there if you if you're at a club and you're considering it talk to your superintendent talk to your green keeper see what they think my personal opinion i don't think they're good for championship events and short-term events absolutely great idea for players but every week for Wednesday comps, midweek comps, weekend comps, impractical. Move away, forget it, get over it, move on. There's plenty of courses that do it, but I'm telling you again, in my opinion, it's not a great move. And what seems, like I said, like something to take the stress away, setting up a course, and it just keeps adding frustration. So look, guys, you know, for the rest of the year, for all other regular events, just go out there and play golf and enjoy doing so. Enjoy your golf. Don't get bogged down in the detail. The more you think you know from this kind of arrangement in golf, 
the worse off you will end up being in numerous other ways, I promise. Do away with the whole maps. But but bring them out on special occasions. And, and trust me, as a club, as boards and committees, if you roll them out on special occasions, your players and your members and your visitors alike are going to think it's the best thing in the world. But if you bring it out for every week and every comp, it's it's just going to be a total mess over time. Not worth it. That's my opinion. That's the Greenkeeper Shed, guys. I hope you found it a little bit interesting. And maybe you're looking at the whole location maps in a little bit of a different way in the future. Um, and I'm curious. Send a comment. Let me know what your thoughts are on, on this one. I, I'm not a fan of it, but I'm coming from a, a Greenkeeper's perspective. So, you know, there's probably other Supers out there that, that are on my side of it as well. And there's probably plenty of players that think the opposite. I'd be curious to see, happy to discuss, but that's my opinion about it. And I think uh, I don't think it's a practical move. That's the Greenkeeper Shed, guys. Hope you enjoyed that one. Something a little bit different. And that, ladies and gentlemen, brings us to an end of episode number 22. Like, share, subscribe, as they say. Um, listeners, I really hope you um, get something out of the episode and please do pass it around. I'm happy to um, to have conversations with you about some of the topics today that I mentioned and uh, really love to talk about all sorts of different things, as you know. So, look... Happy for um, for you to get involved, and please do pass it around. I really appreciate it. And if you wouldn't mind, I would love a review or two, if you don't mind, on the podcast platform as well. It keeps it improving, and it keeps it moving forward. So would love to hear from you in that regard as well. So look, guys, that's a wrap for episode number 22. Like I said, the Golfing Greenkeeper podcast. You hit them clean, and we'll keep them green. Look forward to catching you on episode number 23. Thank you.